All right, we're recording now. Yeah, we're recording. Hi, Trav. I love you, Trav. <laughs> Despite your incredibly terrible musical tastes. Oh. <laughs> we would. I, I turned on my radio in my car today, and saliva came on, and I immediately <laughs> thought of Trav. Yeah. <laughs> wonder. I wonder how he's going to edit these. He's just going to put in the background. He's going to have like Buck Cherry or something in there. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, anybody yes. watch? Anybody watch anything interesting this week? I finally started the Queen's Gambit. We're so we're late on that. We're three episodes in so I, far, but Jaylee's been uh, watching that, and she was she, she's. My wife is terrible with sticking with shows, almost as bad as I am, because she was watching Queen's Gambit, and then she's like, "I don't know what to watch." I was like, "Well, watch uh, his Dark Materials," and I got her watching that. So now she's kind of like back and forth on both of those. Mm, nice, mm. Uh, which I've not caught either of them. I I finished up Queen's Gambit last week. Really good show. Uh, it's only seven episodes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real quick watch. Yeah. Oh, okay. Watch the Mandalorian nice. this morning. That was a good episode. Yeah, I still need to watch that I'll one. Watch tomorrow. And uh, no, I think I mostly watched Best Picture nominees this week. I can't. Oh, I watched Sound of Metal last night. Oh yeah. Oh, how is that? Oh, it was excellent, guys. If you have was a, it? If you have Amazon Prime, you got to check out Sound of Metal. It's I phenomenal. I keep getting the Facebook ads for that one, and I'm like, ah, I really want to watch that. And why do I know that guy? And why does he kind of look like Ahmed from Community a little bit? But it's not him, obviously. Uh, he's Riz Ahmed. He was the pilot they had to go to uh, the one planet and save in Rogue One. He was being held prisoner by Forrest Whitaker. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty fantastic. Emily, did you watch anything interesting this week? Uh... Not, not really. No, I've I've been in the process of packing up to move. So fair enough. Really, um, understood. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, yeah, me too. Anything good? I started listening to um, Cold, um, which I guess is kind of an older one, but it's about the um, you know, the Powell disappearance, and um, okay. out in okay. Utah, um crazy the dad who um like killed the children i listen to true crime okay i'm sorry oh colorado utah and so the wife went missing and everybody thought that the husband did it did it that he killed her but they couldn't find enough evidence and then um they started to find evidence to convict him and he um killed himself and the two young children um and and basically the um the conclusion that the podcast draws is that the um the dad Jason Powell was a sociopath and had narcissistic personality disorder and um was just really manipulative and able to charm people superficially. And his, you know, his toxic behaviors weren't really apparent on a superficial. Mm. So it's yeah. almost relevant to the movie. Yeah, we're I do about. have, um, I do have a lot of Indeed. notes about gas. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, that's a good segue to, uh, jump into the show. Yes. Let's <laughs> talk about a movie. 
beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. And I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I'm Zach McCoy. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Worsty Podcast, a show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong, and what film are we watching this week, Zach? We are watching Rebecca, a story of love, hate, class worship, and melancholy that shows the dangers of expectation versus reality and just how maddening the weight of legacy can weigh. Well, you got more out of this movie than I did. (laughs) And helping us discuss the film this week is my good friend, Emily Williams. Emily, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. So uh, something I wanted to point out, and uh, Emily, Paul reminded me uh, that we have spoken before uh, a long while ago when we had attempted Drinking Age Movies podcast uh, four or five years ago, if not more at this point. Five years ago, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and I just wanted to let you know, um, I watched the movie this time. <laughs> <laughs> so. So. So well I, done. I did like four episodes of a podcast about five years ago when uh, I was still kind of a new father and wasn't able to put the time into the podcast that I needed to. Uh, and the first episode we did was, uh, so this was going to be a review and news show that we did. And the first episode was us reviewing the film, uh, man from uncle. Oh, yep. Yep. And, and it was me and Jonathan and Emily did the first episode together. And Jonathan didn't watch the movie. <laughs> I just didn't go see it. <laughs> Which is really sucks because the second episode was Hitman and that movie was Garbo. That movie was so. In your defense, I had never seen the original TV show of Man from Uncle, and I think that I think all I contributed to that episode of the podcast was raving about how much I loved the dresses that Gabby (laughs) (laughs) wears. I I have that episode on this laptop and I will I will happily have Jonathan post it as like a bonus episode <laughs> in in the middle of the week because it's it's not bad. I, I think that's yeah, something I, I would like to listen to it myself. I'll nice. I'll put it in the uh, I'll put it in the folder and Emily, I'll share it with you. It's, Thank you. I honestly kind of wish we I would have had the time to put into that podcast because I really enjoyed the format that we were going for. Sure. All right. Uh, so I guess uh, Oscar breakdown. Yeah, let's let's do an Oscar breakdown. breakdown. So uh, Rebecca gets nominated for the w- most awards for the night with 11 nominations. It walks away with three and ties with the thief of Baghdad for the most awards given on the night. Of course, we start out wins outstanding production. It beats out all this in heaven too. Uh, another Alfred Hitchcock film gets nominated for Best Picture, Foreign Correspondent. Uh, the Grapes of Wrath, the John Ford film. Charlie Chaplin's Great Dictator. Sam Wood's Kitty Foyle. The Letter, which if uh, you go look up the letter on Amazon Prime, it's going to tell you that this is from 1940, or the free one that's on Prime is from 1940. It is not. It was a, a Playhouse 60 from like 1959. Don't believe it. I was really mad when I got there. John Ford's The Long Voyage Home, Sam Wood's Our Town, and George Cukor's The Philadelphia Story. So three directors have two films nominated for Best Picture this year. That is wild. Just out of 
curiosity is john ford gonna ever calm the fuck down no john ford is a crazy person can't stop won't stop (laughs) yep he directs all the best movies uh i love him yeah even though he's kind of a cantankerous old son of a bitch even at this point in his career (laughs) so if anybody needs to understand john ford as an artist there's an amazing clip online of peter bogdanovich the director of the last picture show trying to interview him as a film school student. And it is hilarious. Okay. <laughs> I have to check that out. It'll yeah. make you mad for Peter Bogdanovich, but all of John <laughs> Ford's answers are cantankerous and great. Awesome. Thanks. So speaking of John Ford, he wins best director for grapes of wrath because well-deserved. Of course he does. It's great. And that's his, <laughs> what's he up to? He's up to two now. Emily's throwing um, up signs. That is, that, is the, the socialist you in me representing, representing John Graves Steinbeck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah <he's... laughs> oh, there's so much socialism in, in this Oscars. Um, I am now trying to remember, was this Ford's second Oscar? Oh, I clicked on awards on his, uh, on his uh, Wikipedia page, and I came up with his military awards. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he's a very decorated man. Yeah, this is just his second award, so... Okay. okay. We'll hear more about him later. Uh, good old Jimmy Stewart picks up his one and only Academy Award for Philadelphia Story. Did he only win one Academy Award? One Academy Award. Oh, wow. That's wild. Wow. Which might make you a little angry in a second when I read a different note. Well, he has the the biggest Academy Award in our heart. That's right. James Stewart is amazing. And I love him. And the Philadelphia story is an incredible film. Yep. In fact, I think my letterbox review is ridiculous on it. So give me a second. How did film not end after this kind of perfection? <laughs> wow. The whole medium of film should have ended after that movie. After the credits <laughs> rolled on that movie. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Ginger Rogers is a surprise win for Kitty Foyle because everyone was pretty sure it was either going to go to Catherine Hepburn for Philadelphia Story or Betty Davis for The Letter. Mm. Uh, but, you know, Betty Davis has two at this point. Catherine Hepburn's only going to win a ton more after this. So. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not too sad for either of those wonderful actresses. Oh, I've been neglecting all of Rebecca's losses so far. Alfred Hitchcock loses Best Director. He is nominated. It is it is his first nomination. Uh, Lawrence Olivier loses to James Stewart, and his mustache is ridiculous, and he should have shaved it. <laughs> Sorry, he's just so much better looking in uh in Wuthering Heights without that mustache. Oh yeah, that is that sure. is as your yeah. representative female. Wuthering Heights is peak Olivier hotness. Yeah. It it certainly yeah. is. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> We're not ashamed to drool over some men here too, so. Yeah, I was gonna... oh, oh oh no, oh. no. We have uh I think we've all drooled over Clark Abel enough over I'm, the last I'm going to be weeks, drooling so. over Joan Fontaine in just a little bit, so. Yeah. She's drool worthy. <laughs> uh speaking of which, she she was nominated uh for best actress and loses to Ginger Rogers. So, Walter Brennan is back and wins Best Supporting Actor for the third time. (laughs) The third time, people. He is the first actor to win three Academy Awards. Apparently, that all comes down to the fact that the Extras Guild was allowed to vote for Best Supporting Actor. 
and they are just champions for Walter Brennan. Nice. So that's what? Six years that this award has existed, and Walter Brennan has won 50% of the time. <laughs> nice. It's so ridiculous. He's a supportive kind of guy. Yeah, real supportive. Jane Darwell wins for Grapes of Wrath playing Ma Jode, beating out Judith Anderson, who plays Mrs. Danvers. Rules in Rebecca, by the way. I love her. Uh, the Great McGinty wins Best Original Screenplay. Uh, and that's Preston Sturges wrote that. One of the one of the great Hollywood writers. Nice. Philadelphia Story wins Best Screenplay. So uh, Best Adaptation is gone and replaced with Best Screenplay. Interesting. Uh, so we're just changing the wording. Uh, Philadelphia Story beats out Rebecca. Best original story. Oh, wait, no, hold on. I missed this in my notes. Okay, so screenplay has been uh, expanded to three categories. Best original screenplay, best original story, and best screenplay. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Still feeling it out. They'll get there eventually, I guess. Eventually. Um, Best original story goes to Arise, My Love. Arise. Sorry. <laughs> uh, best live action short subject. One reel goes to quicker, quicker in a wink. Quicker in a wink. Well, it's supposed to be quicker than, but it's like quicker in a wink. Oh, oh okay. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm I'm not saying it correctly with my accent, but if I would have said this, in one, a wink. like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if that was better, but we'll go with it. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I am not a professional. Uh, it is a documentary film in the Pete Smith specialty series about stroboscopic photography. Yeah. Interesting. Best live action short subject to real goes to Teddy, the rough rider. So we're getting some, uh, getting some Teddy Roosevelt in here, apparently. Okay. All right. Are we ready? Podcast within a podcast time. Podcast yes, in a podcast. Emily, this is when we discuss Walt Disney Oscar watch. Do, 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 do. Oh. So, it has been nine years in the Academy Awards since they have created the animated short category. And in the first eight years, Walt Disney won every single award and picked up two special awards for creating Mickey Mouse and uh, creating long form animation films with uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Here we are, 1940. Walt Disney does not win Best Short Subject. Oh, part my two. gosh. <laughs> He's not even nominated. He is not nominated. Well, so I wonder. They were busy again I, this year with the full lengths, maybe. Yeah, there were two full length Disney films that came out in 1940. So I wonder how many shorts they put out or if they put out any. Because uh, I, I didn't bother to do the research on that. Uh, so I apologize if anybody wants to let me know if there were any Disney shorts released in 1940. Go ahead and hit us up on the Twitters or the Facebooks. Uh, but. Metro Goldwyn Mayer takes it away with The Milky Way, uh, which is a cartoon about three little kittens. Oh. Uh, who apparently lost their mittens. Okay. And found a bowl of saucer uh, of milk. <laughs> yep. Uh, Metro Goldwyn Mayer beats themselves for Puss <laughs> Gets the Boot and Warner Brothers for A Wild Hare, which is a Tex Avery. Uh, Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd cartoon. Okay. Now, here we are, nine years in, and finally, Walt Disney's reign over the Oscar 
over the best short subject Oscar has been broken. Yes. But one of his two uh, long form animated films, Pinocchio wins best original score. Lovely. Uh, Hard to argue. So that is, so he still wins something. Yeah. So that is the first Disney feature length film that wins an Academy Awards. Pinocchio. What was the other second? Uh, what was the second full length Fantasia movie that came out? Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I'd forgotten they came out the same year, but that's it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, need to get on some special features for those films because both of those are great. Uh, Tin Pan Alley wins best scoring. Alfred Newman, I think, picking up a second award. Uh, when You Wish Upon a Star from Pinocchio wins best original song. Best sound recording goes to Strike Up the Band. All right. So art direction gets split into black and white and color. Uh, Pride and Prejudice gets best art direction black and white and the thief of Baghdad gets best art direction color and that is a gorgeous film if you haven't seen that guys have, you should go grab that one have not but i plan on it um pride and prejudice beats out rebecca and again here i am not telling you what rebecca loses uh rebecca also lost best original score best cinematography back black and white goes to rebecca Best Cinematography Color goes to Thief of Baghdad. Uh, best Film Editing goes to Northwest Mounted Police, <laughs> which was a Cecil B. DeMille film. Okay. Uh, and also beat Rebecca. Thief of Baghdad beats Rebecca for Best Special Effects. And I will tell you, there is a 15, 16 minute uh, documentary on the Criterion Collection about just the special effects for Rebecca, which were a lot more than you would think. Yeah, I was going to say, I... I, uh, there was a lot of green screen <laughs> and there were some pretty yeah, obvious green screen scenes like the beach was uh, a little rough. I'm telling you, it's a lot more than green screening. There's a lot of mat effect going on mm. and miniatures are used like there's one shot. I just always assumed was just a regular shot of something and it was a miniature. OK. It's pretty much um, Olivia de Havilland playing Mrs. DeWinter looks out of this window and sees Mrs. Danvers closing the window. Mm -hmm. That was a miniature. Uh, like a doll in Why? the window or something? Yeah. <laughs> Emily, you can, you can make noise. You... <laughs> I thought you were going to say like at the beginning when they were panning through the house, like the dream sequence. But I never would have guessed that scene oh, yeah. of mm -hmm. the shot of Mrs. Danvers closing the window across the way was, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like any of the pretty much any of the exterior shots of the house were either a miniature or the outside of something with a lot of matte painting just placed over the top of it to make the house look bigger. There's okay. so they just did not want to leave the set for this movie. Yeah, essentially. At all. I mean, when you only have so much money and you need to make something look extravagant, yeah. They were just like, hey, just have somebody paint something as realistic as possible and then stick it on top of this, the frame. Yeah. I could tell that a few times, but I honestly nice. couldn't tell the miniature. So I, I am a bit more impressed than I was initially with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, again, I, I'm glad that they had that on there so that I could relay this information because, yeah. yeah, it doesn't seem like a very effects heavy film. Right. But then I watched this documentary. I was like, oh, my God, what? <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, it goes best nice. special effects goes to Thief of Baghdad, which if you see Thief of Baghdad, obviously. Fair enough. Yeah, it's it's good times. All right. Um 
Bob Hope gets an honorary award uh, for in recognition of his unselfish services to the motion picture industry. Sweet. Was he the host this year? Or? No, uh, the host this year was Walter Wagner, the Academy <laughs> President. Paul, for a second, I thought you were going to say that they gave Bob Hope the Lifetime Achievement Award in 1940. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite Bob Hope joke from the Oscars was, well, it's Oscar time, or as we call it in my house, Passover. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I mean, the man hosted 17 times, but at this point, only once. And that yep. was 39. Colonel Nathan Levinson got an honorary award for his outstanding service to the industry in the Army during the past nine years, which has made possible the president, the present efficient mobilization of the motion picture industry facilities for the production of Army training films. Okay. So can you tell we're, uh, right. we're gearing up for war here? That's, yep. I guess, I guess um, the Oscars didn't go for that Donald Duck Hitler short. Probably Walt, <laughs> Walt, Walt Disney didn't get it this time around. Probably not. Uh, but keep in mind, this is February 27th, 1941, and we would not officially enter the war until December 7th. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So um, this is... After the fiasco of 1939, where the L.A. Times printed all the names of the winners. Yeah, this is the first beforehand. <laughs> this is the first year that they go into lockdown and only uh, only the people who tabulated the votes. Uh, Price Waterhouse know the results. Uh, Very nice. Also, Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave a six-minute direct radio address to the, the attendees from the White House, and it was the first time an American president ever participated in the Academy Awards. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. And I th Oh, uh, and when Jimmy Stewart wins his award, he promises to send his award to his father. That is very sweet. Which he uh, ends up doing, and his father displays his award all throughout Jimmy... Uh, throughout the rest of the time he owns the shop, especially while Jimmy Stewart is over fighting in the war, which is beautiful. And I love yes. it. My heart is so warmed right yeah. now. <laughs> right. Uh, also people pretty much considered Jimmy Stewart winning for the Philadelphia story, which is not his best performance and probably should not have been his Oscar win, even though that film is perfect in every way. Uh, they all consider it a makeup award for him not winning the year prior for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which is Jimmy Stewart's best performance yeah. that he should have won yeah. for. <laughs> Fuck yeah. you, Robert yeah. Dunbar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and those are my notes. Thank you kindly. Yes, indeed. So, let's talk about this. Okay, movie. was this everybody's first time seeing the movie? Yes. No. Yes. Emily, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to say no for me. Uh, when I originally uh, got Netflix back in like 2001, 2002, I rented a ton of Hitchcock. So, oh, like that's how I ended up <laughs> DVD <seeing>. Netflix, <laughs> DVD Netflix, three, three DVDs at a time uh, in the mail. Emily, please tell us your history with Rebecca. Um, well, I am a third generation English teacher. And um, as such, my mom 
uh, was an English teacher and really, really loved the book. And she also really, really loves Alfred Hitchcock. And so my sisters and I watched, like, every Alfred Hitchcock movie, like, even his really, like, early obscure ones. And my most vivid memory of this movie before I rewatched it for this podcast was watching it when I was a little girl and being really, really scared of the ending. So it was kind of fun to go back and watch it again. I I wish I would have seen this at that young an age. I'm not even sure what Hitchcock I had seen at that (laughs) point in my life. Yeah. I, I do remember when I was like 11 or 12, we went to Universal Studios Hollywood and we went to go take a, like a, I don't want to call it a ride or a show, but it was kind of like a walking through Hitchcock's filmography thing. Oh, that's cool. Oh, sweet. And as we're standing in line, some guy comes out and sees my dad and he's like, hey, do you want to come be part of this? And my dad's like, okay. <laughs> so they take my dad away from the line. <laughs> so we go through the walking tour of like, you know, we go through and the birds attack us and we go through and these a few other things happen and then they sit us in this they sit us in this auditorium and they're like, okay, so we're going to recreate the psycho, the shower scene from psycho. So we could show you like how many cuts and stuff were in the movie. <laughs> we're like, okay, that's kind of weird, but uh, let's do that. And then they, they turn it into this comedy bit. And the woman playing Janet Lee has all these jokes and stuff. So then they finally start shooting it. Then my dad fucking jumps out as Norman Bates <laughs> dressed as his mother. <laughs> it's amazing nice wow that is really cool (laughs) my mom told me that like one of her first sleepovers um as a uh, like a preteen she and some friends had watched psycho even though they weren't supposed to and she's like this is the first one of the first scary movies she ever saw so it's cool nice Uh, hitchcock's great yeah yeah all right uh jonathan before we jump in there i guess i should do the uh film registry oh yes of course all right do you think this is in the film registry? I'm going to say no. And that's because it almost seems like every time I try to look up this movie on anything, it's like they want it to disappear. I type in Rebecca into IMDb and you have to actually select select titles to filter or else you're given nothing but Rebecca names for actresses <laughs> and the remake. And that's it. So, right. no, I don't think it did. I think I saw a note that it might be. I didn't look at what year or anything, but I think it was. Emily, any guesses? I have, but I'm going to be, I if it's not. It is absolutely. Okay. All right. What year? Oh, like. Emily, if you don't know, the National Film Registry started in, ni- in 1989, and they tried to guess what year they inducted it into the film registry. Okay. Um. Um. About 25 years get put it, 25 films get put in per year. I'm going to say like 2000, like early 2000. Jonathan? Uh, 2007. Just throwing that out there. Okay. I'm going to go 97. 2018. (gasps) Wow. Wow. No. Okay. Just got in. Well, I, I mean, when you think about how I haven't looked up how much. Hitchcock has in here. There might be a note down here. When you think about most of Hitchcock's films and the fact that only 25, including like short films and uh, documentaries and stuff, get put in per year, 
I'm not sure it's all that surprising that it took that long, but maybe a little surprising that it took that long. Alfred Alfred Hitchcock has 11 films in the National Film Registry. Well, I guess I'm also thinking that, like you know? David O. Selznick is producing, yeah. plus it has Laurence Olivier and Joan Fontaine in it. So I, I guess. Yeah, like probably around where Jonathan said, 2007. Yeah. Okay, tw- 20 years-ish. That's That's not terrible, but. Man, almost 30 years until it gets put in is wild. Yeah. All right. So here's here's the rundown of the 1940 films that get put in along or not alongside it, but, you know, as well. Uh, the W.C. Fields, W.C. Fields film, The Bank Dick. The documentary <laughs> short subject, Commandant Keeper Church, Beaufort, South Carolina, May 1940. Uh, okay. Yeah, that was a mouthful. Uh, Dance Girl Dance, Down Argentine Way, Fantasia, which was a second ballot film, so it got in in 1990. Uh, Grapes of Wrath, which goes in year one. Uh, Great Dictator, uh, my favorite Chaplin film. Uh, His Girl Friday, Cary Grant, Newt Rockney, All-American, with... uh, Good old Ronnie Reagan. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mark of Zorro, Melody Ranch, Men in Dust, which is a documentary short subject. (laughs) Sorry. That was wow. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I could rally from that. the weird shit that gets me. <laughs> All right. Uh, Philadelphia Story gets put in in 95. Oh, sweet. Uh, Pinocchio gets put in in 94. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shop Around the Corner, which is a great Jimmy Stewart film. They remade into uh, You've Got Mail, right? Correct. Uh, Siege, which is a documentary short subject. Tacoma Narrow, Narrows Bridge Collapse, which is a home movie that somebody recorded <laughs> Of the, t- the, t- the Tacoma Narrows Bridge collapsing. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably something horrible, which is why it's in. So maybe we shouldn't laugh, but it's still it's just so. I'm going to look that odd. shit up. I'm... <laughs> okay, so it says this the, the it was a suspension bridge in Washington, yeah. Tacoma, obviously. Uh, and I'm wondering if it's that video of that bridge that's like oh. kind of wavy wobbling. Yeah, I wonder. That um, some sound company used for a uh, commercial one time they like somebody turned on their radio and it started t- <laughs> oh it is a, it's the wibbly wobbly yeah oh wow that's so cool <laughs> Sweet. nice yeah. and then uh our final film of 1940 was tarantella short subject experimental film okay five minute color avant-garde animated short film created by mary ellen butte a pioneer of visual music and electronic art in experimental cool. cinema. Cool. Sweet. Interesting check stuff that this out. year. Yeah. In a week and a half, when I listen to this episode, I will try to remember to watch that. That's usually how these things go for me. <laughs> okay. So that's our film registry breakdown. Now, Jonathan, you have words, apparently. So, and I am interested to hear them. It's not so much words. I... I don't think that this is a bad movie, but what I will say is of everything we've watched, 
this is the most meh movie that I've seen so far. I It took a long time for me to kind of really get interested. And I did eventually get interested in the movie. But I, I just... <sighs> I hear what you're saying. I don't love the first half. Yeah. I, 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 I don't. And then when you get Why? to the second half, like, when you get that, like, 20-minute-long exposition of just what actually happened to Rebecca, which I swear to God, if I hear the name Rebecca one more time, <laughs> just, oh. Now just, you know how the narrator feels. I bet. Like, I just, like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was just so many times. It's like, and that was Rebecca. It's like, no, just stop. And then the I... the panning to the R on the pillowcase was just a little heavy-handed for me and just... Well, Paul probably has a note about that. Maybe you do. I don't know. About the R on the pillowcase? Yeah. R, R. Yes, So, (laughs) (laughs) So, apparently Selznick, who really, really tried to keep Hitchcock under his thumb as best as possible during the shooting (laughs) of this film. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Selznick was a real asshole to Hitchcock. Um, he wanted Hitchcock to end the film with the smoke billowing out of uh out of the mansion and creating a big R in the sky. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, so pillow pillow sounds doesn't great now, so doesn't it? Now. Oh God! <laughs> That's Hitchcock too much. Was like, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, and Hitchcock apparently shot, like, barred Selznick <laughs> from the set and shot the way he wanted to in a way that they couldn't do reshoots. Nice. <laughs> Keep that fucker no. out of here. <laughs> I just... I, I enjoyed the movie as a whole, but, you know, like Zach had said, the first half just really just makes me go... And I said this before you came into the conversation... Uh, Zach, uh, before mm-hmm. you popped into our call here, but uh, I thought Rebecca was his mom throughout half the movie. <laughs> I like you thought that was going to be a reveal, or you thought that's who it was. That's who I thought Rebecca was. I thought that Mrs. DeWinter was his mom, and everyone was like, "Why?" Everyone's really torn up about him losing his mom. Old ladies die, guys. Come on. <laughs> and <laughs> I just. I, it, See, I think it's wild you don't like the first half. I think the first half's so charming. I I don't know. I There's a lot of things that, like, small, brief things that make me go, Ugh. I don't like the way he's talking to her, and yeah. I don't like what I'm pretty sure was a small sign that said colors um, that was referring to colored people only this way. Uh it was very brief, and it was like half a second. It was only I mean, partial of the sign, so I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's where, what he said. Where I would normally be more upset about that, at least that's just how things were. They're just, yeah, filming what was there, I guess. Yeah, because and it's still, a lot and, of the And first... the same thing could be said about the way he talks to her. It's just, that's the sign of the times. Like, I mean, you straight Don't up called that idiot. girl an idiot. Exactly! Like... <laughs> Hey there, girl, you're being kind of a bitch. Knock it off. Like, no, stop it. <laughs> and it just, well, 
it, it, it irks me, but once again, like you said, it, it it's the times. It just we're coming off a really rough week last week, and I'm still kind of <laughs> yeah. Oh, mascot of the show, Zaphod Beeplebrox is again. <laughs> but uh, Emily, what do you have to say about that? Um. Well, I mean, as much as it might pain y'all to. Think about it now. I mean, men were really patronizing to women back then. And um, what really kind of got to me was not so much about, like, the little few little fool lines, but um, that didn't bother me as much as when he addresses her as a child. But I do have a note about that um, mm. that I want to come back to when we start talking about, like, the end. So I don't know if you want me to say that now. Okay. Because um, I, I, I oh, no, well, go ahead and say it now. We, we don't we don't really do linear. So if you got thoughts, just throw them out. Okay. So like the whole power dynamic between the narrator and Maxim is, you know, at the beginning she's very naive, she's very innocent, she's very young, and she's very very out of her element. Like you guys said at the beginning, there's a story about class. She's very middle class lower middle class, and he's extremely upper, upper class, you know, nobility. And yeah. so um, he definitely has the higher ground in terms of their power dynamic. Plus also, you know, he's a man, he's older than she is, and she's a younger woman. Okay, but then by the end of the movie, where he is reduced to um, this lack of power he you know by this um murder charge or you know this danger very real danger of the truth of what happened to rebecca coming to light um you know she gets the upper she kind of becomes the not the alpha but she's the one who's providing the support to him rather than him yeah. providing the support to her and it's a lot more evident in the book, and it's a lot more evident in the newer 2020 version than it is in this one. Um, but you do kind of see glimpses of it. And, like, for example, in the courtroom scene when they're doing the inquiry, and she does, like, the faint, like, oh, and she collapses, and they have to stop. And he's like, oh, it's a good thing you fainted, or I would have really lost my temper in there. And you're kind of like... Did she do that on purpose to, like, make sure that he wouldn't lose his temper and to, like, save the situation? It's kind of, and, like, I just think that's really kind of a cool, so, like, the uh, and Albert Hitchcock is such a skilled director. I kind of don't think that he would have let that happen if he didn't do it on purpose, you know? And, and so right. I do think that as cringy as it yeah. is now to our, like, modern audiences, to see that a it is a product of the times and b it does kind of illustrate how the power dynamic fluctuates over the course of the movie yeah and yeah. i think that's that's probably one of the ways that you come you coming in blind to this movie uh can upset you in the beginning because knowing where it goes and what it does really speaks to the the way the scales just kind of shift on them through the films where you watch her become more confident and more in her element and telling Miss Danvers things like I'm Mrs. DeWinter now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like it, it's such a pointed, a pointed line I, that 
you don't get from her in the beginning because she's so busy being walked over by the woman that she's serving oh, yeah. and then by uh, DeWinter himself. Yeah. I I could see that. And um, I think I don't really have a problem with the the content or the story. For me, the first half was technically inferior. There are too many uh, shots with backdrops. And maybe if they'd shown more of them doing other things when they were on their little dates rather than just driving in the car, that, that made it kind of mundane. But I don't. I I understand it, it was important to show her how she was and her dynamic and the evolution of her character. So I can get right. that. Yeah, I, I just I just found the first half boring. Period. Like it just again. I I just love the first half so much. It reminds me of like a nice little romantic comedy almost. It it feels a little bit like Roman Holiday. I... <sighs> oh, Without man, the scenery, <laughs> kind of. I don't know. <laughs> like, and, and I get what you're saying, but I got that feeling of, you know, him being very away from her. And, and I get that that was the point. He he was he was distant for a reason. Um, yeah. And and they they openly discuss it. Yeah, they they openly discuss that he lost his wife and he when she meets him, he looks like he's about to but throw again, himself off the side of a cliff. Take into consideration also. I thought they were talking about him losing his mom. So, <laughs> see how that can paint the movie in an entirely different light. I, it, it, yeah, like, I feel like you. I, feel I like might you need, need to go rewatch, back and rewatch yeah. this <laughs> because, like I said, I don't know. I don't know what led me to believe it. I just when they kept saying Mrs. De Winter for some strange reason, I just always thought his mom for some strange reason. It could mm-hmm. be the Hitchcock thing about it. It was like, is this kind of like a a pre-psycho thing that we're getting right now, but I, I just, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. And then like, I may actually have to rewatch it because of this, but even without that, I just felt like the first half, I could see where you're coming from, Paul. It is a little almost endearing, but the first bit, like I didn't know where this movie was going because, you know, here she was just like this old Biddy's assistant who got swept away by a guy who I did not find charming at all. Like, at <laughs> fucking all. And she's I just mean, like, oh, you paid attention to me. I have to love you. Thank you. Oh, of course I'll marry you because you said hi. That's what I got out of that. So I, I just, I never saw why the relationship began. And it did shift into a different movie. There's definitely not as much character development um, in this movie, in the Monte Carlo scenes. Um, so I will grant that. Um, and I, I, the main reason why I like the first half of the story is because that all that stuff with Mrs. Van Hopper does such a great job of foreshadowing um what happens later and i was yeah. i was ta- i was actually i rewatched this with my mom because you know i had to and one thing that um you know we were talking about is how you know the power dynamics between women are um you know the the antagonism that mrs van hopper shows towards the narrator or the bride um, 
and then especially how, you know, Mrs. DeWinter, uh, Mrs. DeWinter, oh my gosh, y'all, how Mrs. Danvers antagonizes her later. And, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and I just think that's really interesting. You know, yeah. Mrs. Van Hopper is such a bully and so obscene and crass and just ridiculous. And, um, and, and that's the thing, though. She was the character I felt had the most personality out of everybody to begin with. Personality, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, I really think that's why she's there, to give, to give the opening mm-hmm. more personality. Because here you have one woman who's too meek to really speak out anything, and she's not going to be dynamic. She has to grow into that dynamic. And then you have... Uh, Maxim, who has lost his wife and is solemn and is, again, not supposed to really be dynamic. So you need you need something to go against the kind of static characters that they are. And Mrs. Van Hopper is wonderful at it. Yeah. So that uh, that dynamic is uh, that uh, God, I can never remember her name. The main girl. Good Lord. Well, she doesn't have a name. That's Does a, she not have a name yeah. throughout the whole damn movie? Yeah, that's why Emily's been but calling her the narrator. The narrator. Okay, sure. Yeah, okay, well, there you go. But that's the point of her. Okay. Oh, yeah. So Daphne du Maurier did that on purpose. And it's so that, you know, the reader can, eat, like, self-insert. But it's also to show how this character at the beginning just really is completely swallowed up and overshadowed by this specter of Rebecca. Yeah. And, um, see, I, yeah. So the, the main thing I want to put in and Paul, you had brought up this scene when she finally kind of begins to hold her own when she, uh, when she tells the maid, like, no, listen to get her shit out of here. I'm, I'm Mrs. DeWinter. Now that was the only time I really felt like she did like, you know, put some bass in her voice and finally hold up. The rest of it was very like, all right, I'm not mousy like I was, and I want to show some sort of power here. And then obviously it's going to get shut down a little bit during the uh, the the masquerade scene where, you Mm -hmm. know, she puts on the dress, the Rebecca's dress and looks like her and, and, you know, like, all right, well, I tried. Then she just becomes a follower again. I just I just feel like it's only that one moment when she's just like, get rid of her shit that she really was the hero of the story and just it got lost on me. The rest Mm -hmm. of it was. All right, let's keep Maxim out of prison. Whoops. (laughs) But she's the one actively doing it. She's the one making decisions and keeping the plot going forward. Yeah. I, yeah, Which, she's not as bold and dynamic, perhaps, but that scene down in the cabin where she essentially saves Maxim's conscience, I feel like, you know, she she had a subtle power. <laughs> see, and, right. and honestly, I didn't feel, I felt the other way. So in the cabin, when he finally confesses, like, hey, this is what happens, and he goes, can you look at me and love me now? And she doesn't say anything. I'm like, yes, girl, get it. Go walk away, because dude just said he killed his last wife. And then she just turns around and says, no, but I do love you. Like, no, no, why? You're, but why? Like, why are you going? But what has this guy done for you to make you want to stay with him? It literally everything else apart, like, you know, just literally everything else of this movie has said, this guy has, you know, 
he's got baggage. You now know what's in the baggage, but he's not treated you well. And he hasn't been like, hasn't treated her badly, but there's been nothing to keep her there. I never felt the chemistry between the two characters. So I think that that might be my biggest problem is that why are you going back to him? What makes you stay and help him? That I think that's my biggest issue. I can hear that. That's fair. Like I said, I do think that the character development in this one is a little thin on the ground. Like it, and it's it's yeah. there. Like you see, it's not. I don't see character progression. I just see. Actually, I actually see character development. I see. I see what the characters are very vividly in this movie. At throughout the movie, you are given pieces of these characters that say this is their personality, this is who they are, and I think that's well done. But I don't see character progression at all. It's and it's not. It happened one night. I, it, I is think not. <laughs> it is not. But, but what is? Um, but apparently, a lot of that comes down to the fact that when they picked up the option to this movie, they wanted to keep Selznick wanted to keep it as close to the the book as sure. possible. Aside from where our good friend the Hayes Code comes in and has uh the writers make it a little more vague around Rebecca's death and DeWinter's yeah. involvement in it. Because the Hayes Code uh, said you can't what well, you can't murder a spouse and not be guilty. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. If if he wasn't going to pay for her death in some kind of way, if he was not going to be punished for it, the Christian right did not want them to do anything with that. Wow. So they said, you have to change that. So I can only see where that kind of throws off the balance of so the story. So in the book, does he just straight up kill her or... Okay, so first of all, every you would have every good Christian knows that there's absolutely zero murder in the Bible. So, okay, let's just get that out of the way there. Um, <laughs> no, but so, uh, yeah, he kills her, but and he shoots her. And what they, what they leave out because of the Hayes Code is that um, Rebecca coerces. She basically manipulates Maxim into... Um, assisting her suicide um you know she finds out that she has got inoperable cancer she's gonna die a long painful death and this is kind of going back to what i was talking about earlier about like sociopaths um she is so selfish and and narcissistic like narcissistic personality disorder levels it's not enough for rebecca to make Max miserable while he's alive, while she's alive. She also has to make sure that he's going to be miserable after she dies too. And so sure. rather than just like blowing her own brains out, like I don't want to suffer, she like tricks him into killing her. So he's going to have to live with this guilt and, you know, potential to be persecuted you know prosecuted for the rest of his own life um and there's nothing he can do there's no way that he can prove otherwise um so yeah uh Hayes code was not gonna have that no, well yeah. i mean i felt like that would that part was conveyed in the movie okay. like, I, I felt like that 
Like yeah. they they were just like, yeah, no. Like he even said there at the end, she she wanted this is why she smiled when they were talking because yeah. she wanted him to do that. It's just all that they really left out was the fact that he didn't accident or she didn't accidentally die and all he did was hide the body. He just didn't straight up kill her. Yeah. I wondered. So, I mean, I yeah, I wondered um, for a moment if maybe he did. And Frank knew that he did. And like, he'd paid the doctor to come up with this lie about the cancer. But I guess in the book, it's clear that she actually did have yeah. cancer and it was all her plan and yeah. everything. Well, I right. mean, and, and that's, I think in, I, I like the way that they bounce around. Like you don't like Rebecca from the get go because of how much she's brought up and how much she is over to how, how her shadow is lingering. It's just yeah. how Maxim handles the whole situation on her shadow still sticking around. how Rebecca will always win. I like the way that that was done. Yeah. I like the way that they, they brought that up there. It's just constantly like, she is going to win in the end. There's nothing I can do about that. So like she 100% was a very mentally abusive person. Yeah. <laughs> and it was obvious yeah. without ever seeing this character. So I, that was well done. Yeah. I just, Oh, a note about the character, Frank played by Reginald Denny. I kept thinking, why do I know that guy's name? And then I realized that was the truck driver that got beat during the uh, LA riots. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just the name Reginald Denny. I was like, why do I know that name? But yeah, he got pulled from the a truck and beat by some people. I think there was a Bill Hicks joke about it. And that's why I remember oh, it. So I, <laughs> um, Bill Hicks, but kind of going back, um, <laughs> Jonathan, to what you were just talking about, I actually had made um, a note about male victims of domestic violence, domestic abuse. And I, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like book or movie, this might be one of the first examples of like the, the man being the victim of domestic abuse. And I think that kind of also like I mean, plays into why Max is so, um, cold and belligerent because not only is he you know freaked out that somebody's going to find out that he killed his wife i think there's also this you know culture of like if he if you know what's he gonna say like she tormented me she tortured me everybody around him would just be like you're the man what the what grow up here what's wrong with you and it's yeah. like um yeah. I think that's really, um, really fascinating. Yeah. And when she's stacked yeah. so many people up against him, having her cousin, uh, Mrs. Danvers, who is clearly mm -hmm. uh, her lady. Uh, yeah. Who is yeah. also very wonderfully clear coded. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if everybody caught that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Loving some good old 1940s <laughs> haze code queer coding. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the deck is stacked so much against him that even, even if he were to come forward this and someone might be sympathetic to him, he's got too many voices that will go against him. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's certainly the first we've covered on this show of male abuses of domestic violence. So, yeah. 
All right. So who else has notes on this movie? Um, I do not. I have just a couple quick things. Also getting maybe a little philosophical with uh, metaphors and whatnot, as far as like, like we talked about uh, in the intro and Emily mentioned the class worship and um, legacy and stuff. But I always just find it so interesting and, you know, Movies like this or Gone with the Wind or, you know, shows like Downton Abbey where everybody is so obsessed with the legacy and and houses and how things are set up. It's mm-hmm. like Mrs. Danvers has no personality beyond fawning over Rebecca and the house and stuff and and uh like Mandalay representing the legacy of of the DeWinter family or whatever and just going right. up in flames. It's it it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I I do love a, a good class dynamic. No. My other note was I do think the cinematography uh was a well deserved award. It's a lovely looking film. Right, and that was uh, George Barnes. Wait, Grammy's Academy Award for this one, so yeah, well deserved. Uh, um, Emily, well, do you have any other I notes do. on this movie? Um, one, well, okay, so one that does kind of tie into um the class dynamic. Um, one scene that really stands out to me in this movie, and um. Rewatching it as an adult now and thinking about it, this might be my favorite scene in the movie. Is when um, she goes and puts on that black dress, you know, with the flowers on the bodice. And, you know, earlier when they were in Monte mm-hmm. Carlo, she made that, she was like, oh, I wish I were 36 in, a, in black satin and pearls. And I was like, girl, you got plenty of time to be 36. Shut up. And, um, <laughs> but no, and he's like, promise me you'll never wear black satin like that, okay? And then she goes and she does it. She gets that slinky black dress. And so then the note that I wrote down well, I about the dress, about that, yeah. the narrator wants to fit in to Max's world and to the nobility, the aristocracy, but she feels uncomfortable in the dress because it's not who she is. It's not her. She wears this dress because she wants to please Max. She, wants, she loves him. She wants to make him happy. However, on the other hand, Max loves the narrator because she doesn't fit in. She's the polar opposite from Rebecca. He loves her because she doesn't fit in. Yeah. And he is uncomfortable with her in this dress because he knows that's not who she is, too. So they're both uncomfortable about this dress. And neither one of them can communicate to the other one why that is. And I just think that's really, really fascinating. Really a, a cool little moment. And... um. Yeah. And it kind of ties into a line later. Um, I, can't, I didn't write down the exact line, 
but it's towards the end, and I wrote down, um, Max was never comparing the narrator to Rebecca. The narrator was comparing herself to Rebecca this whole time. Um, and, okay, so I did, ha and I had one little side note right. um, that I thought was a classic example of Alfred Hitchcock's uh, comic relief when they're in Monte Carlo and, you know, oh, no, there, we have to leave. We've got to go catch the ship to New York. Oh, no, what am I going to do? And the, the narrator is trying to get Max's room on the phone, and they cut to his hotel room with the phone ringing, and you just hear Max singing in the shower, like, while the phone is ringing. I'm like, oh, that just... It's such a stupid joke, and I just feel like that's such an Alfred Hitchcock thing to do. Like, I feel like he always puts in some kind of stupid little joke like that, like in Rear Window or, yeah. you know. <laughs> so I liked that. And then um, the other yeah. thing, and again, like, you guys, my, um, my internet connection kind of patched out for a little bit. So if you already talked about this, then just tell me. But I did want to talk about this film as a piece of gothic um, literature, as a, as a piece of gothic cinema. Because, you know, I do think that um, oh, yeah. it, it does have its mm -hmm. flaws. It mm. is really dated in the terms of the way the characters talk to each other and, you know, the way that we kind of expect, like, plot and pacing to be now... Um, but it's so gothic. And if you look at it as purely just a piece of gothic art, it's so beautiful and so well done with like all the fog and the shadows and like the melodramatic stings and the score and the dramatic cuts. It's beautiful. Um, and they, um, it's, uh, yeah. it's really lovely. And this whole, the whole theme of this of a dark secret, and n and yeah. everybody kind of seems to know what the secret is, except for this innocent young blonde ingenue who she's the only one who doesn't know what's going on. She's the only one who doesn't know the dark secret. The dark secret is destroying this crumbling old house from the inside out, and you know, and and that big huge dramatic fire. And Mrs. Danvers is in there, and the roof just collapses in on her. I'm getting goosebumps. Like, if you just look at it as a piece of, like, gothic art, it's, yeah. it's really <laughs> stunning. It's really stunning. It's all very, it's all very Edgar Allan Poe. It's so goth, I, it'll sack I, Rome. I do. I was thinking, I was like, yeah, it's just like the fall of the House of Usher. Exactly. Except without the, except without the incest. <laughs> Unless you're Jonathan. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what was he doing to his mother? <laughs> oh, that was that was great. Thank you for yes for that. You know, we uh we should have uh, English teachers on more often. Right. <laughs> I am not against this. All right, guys. So I think now is the time where we get into our Oscar judges. Worsty judgment. Worsty judgment. That's like Oscar judges. <laughs> Worsty judgy. Judgments. Oh, God. All right. So, uh, Emily, I think Take a we'll breath and say it dramatically. Say it dramatically? Yes. Okay. All right. So the, 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 
what are we calling them again? The Worstie Judgment. The Worstie Judgment. It's now time for The Worstie Judgment. <laughs> so, we'll go ahead, we'll start with Emily. We got two very important questions, and we'll start with the first one. Okay. Did this movie deserve Best Picture? Face of concentration for our listeners. <laughs> I'm... Because I guess I just keep thinking about the Grapes of Wrath. Um, okay, I I don't know if it's Alfred Hitchcock's best pick, like his best film. My, I mean, if you're going to hold it up to, like, I already mentioned Rear Window or Vertigo. I, yeah. Vertigo is probably his best movie. Um, yeah. There's a, is, wait, is that Criterion or is that just? It's just a, a thing hanging on oh. my locker over here. That's oh, beautiful. So I would say... Against Grapes of Wrath, I don't know. That's fair. Yeah. No, that's no. I'm very sorry. Fair. I'm no, dissembling. That's, fair. <laughs> that's what it's like every week. We sit and here and, and ponder. This is why well, we some, have sometimes these it's faster than others. Okay. <laughs> uh, Zach, does this movie deserve Best Picture? I have to say, I'll start by saying that it's an absolute ridiculousness that it is the only Alfred Hitchcock movie to win Best Picture. Um, but unfortunately, I'd say no, it's not. Again. I think you could probably weigh it against four movies in particular that I would say possibly deserve it more, being Great Dictator, Grapes of Wrath. Oh, yeah. Great Dictator. Philadelphia Story, and maybe even Shop Around the Corner. Those those four, I think, are more enjoyable. Maybe not as high art in every case, but... And maybe even Fantasia could be put in argument, too. I I put Fantasia in the argument. Yeah. Um. So my answering of the question would be no, because uh, I throw Pinocchio into the mix as well. Um. I found Pinocchio to be more of an enjoyable film than this one, and I liked this movie. Don't get me wrong. Right. I liked this movie. Um. But also, like you said, The Great Dictator and Grapes of Wrath. I just I think are better films. I uh, I I just I could not give this one Best Picture. Uh, all right. Uh, so a lot of things have been said that I was already going to cover. I got to watch few of. I think I got up to six or seven on the rewatches here. So nice. Um, I will say of the films I got to watch this week. Unfortunately, Grapes of Wrath was not one of them, but it is a film I know I love dearly. Uh, it wasn't. <laughs> it absolutely wasn't the worst one I watched. That was Our Town. <laughs> I do not like that version of Our Town. Uh, though it does the the last like 20 minutes of that version of our town really saved the rest of the film, but it just doesn't have good enough pacing. Uh, I would say it's the best Hitchcock film I watched this week because Ford correspondent, while it has an ending, I love dearly. Uh, the rest of the film is just okay. Even though Hitchcock had a lot more say in how that film got made than this one. Mm. Uh, it was definitely uh, Hitchcock's plea for the U.S. to enter the war because uh, we still weren't at that point. And it's it, it's a good film, but I liked Rebecca more. So anyway, Great Dictator is my favorite Chaplin film, and that's saying something is Chaplin is the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Great Dictator is the best of that. And it is Chaplin's plea for us to go into the war and it is kind of a spot on 
uh, a spot on parody of that kind of fascist behavior that was happening in Europe at the time. Mm -hmm. And he just knocks it out of the park. Uh, Grapes of Wrath is incredible. It's probably my second favorite Henry Fonda uh, performance. On top of that, how does John Ford keep making all the greatest (laughs) films of all time? Uh, Long Voyage Home is the first time I got to see that film. And it was a fucking gut punch. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that. Uh, It's on HBO Max. I really suggest everybody go watch it. But it when it ended, I felt worse than when I started watching it. <laughs> it's incredible. Long journey also, home. Long long voyage. Oh, a long voyage, okay. Uh and somehow, as much of a gut punch was as that was, it was John Ford's second best film that year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Yeah. I really don't know how he does it. He's incredible. And then Philadelphia story, of course. All films should have ended as soon as that movie ended. Uh, Philadelphia Story, personally for me, should have won Best Picture. Uh, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I'm going to say no, but not because it's not a great movie. Yeah. I just, again, Fantasia, also in that. Shop Around the Corner, also in that. Uh, I could keep going, but uh, I listed a bunch of stuff in the stuff earlier, and I can guarantee you pretty much anything I saw in there, I really enjoyed. All right. Yeah. So, uh, Paul. Is this the worst best picture? Uh, no. Emil Zola still exists. And uh, in a year <laughs> where Hitchcock did a film where he was like, hey, fuck Nazis. And America needs to go kill some Nazis. It, it makes Rebecca even stronger for me, knowing that he made that film in the same year. And uh, Emil Zola was like, oh, you know what? Nazis are OK. So um, hey, Nazis got money. Let's get theirs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh. American appeasement is garbage. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. Uh, this is not the worst best picture so far uh, because Gone with the Wind still exists. <laughs> uh, my hatred still grows and I'm still bothered that I was forced to watch that. So um, I tried to be pissed off at this movie because of that movie, I think. And uh, <laughs> so, no, this is not the worst best picture. Uh, Zach. Uh, no, no, this is kind of I uh, middle of the pack for me. You know, Broadway Melody and Gone with the Wind are holding down the basement for me. As you know, Paul said last week, Gone with the Wind's a masterpiece of technique. Technically, we, just not I revisit this. I, I'm not going to <laughs> okay, listen okay. to you okay, guys. Okay, I, I'm not going to melt down again. Okay. Just leave me alone. I can't okay. do it. I can't do it. I, 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 no. I'm not losing any more respect from people that I love. Okay. <laughs> okay. I can't. No, it's not. Bye. <laughs> All right. So, Emily, uh, not sure how much you listen to the podcast. Uh, I'm not sure if we're one of the 12 people, uh, but if uh, so far we do ask at the end, is this the worst best picture of the movies that we've seen so far? So some everything from the first Academy Awards to what are we on the 13? This is 13. The 13. Um, do you think this is of those 13 movies, which if you want, we can run them down for you real quick, but you seem like you might be versed in a lot of these films. I do listen to your I do listen to your podcast, and I have well, I have to say oh, it is you. not the worst so far. I too have a vitriolic hatred for Gone with the Wind, 
And um, when yes. when I was an undergrad <laughs> at Mary Washington, um, I took Southern literature, which I don't I don't know um, if Paul, oh, Paul told you guys in advance, but my family <laughs> is very Southern, and I'm pretty Southern, even though I'm super lefty pinko scum. And um, but I took this Southern <laughs> literature class, and um, the professor was this lovely, lovely gay man from South Carolina. And bless his heart, he just wanted us to watch Gone with the Wind so badly. And we watched it, and I heckled it the entire time. And um, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of think that he knew where I was coming from, but I do think it kind of hurt his feelings a little bit because I think he liked a costume. But I hate that movie very much. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah. There are so many other I, movies people can watch for beautiful <laughs> costumes. Right. Uh, I, I can't wait for you to hear. I can't wait for you to listen to that episode when it comes out. Oh, God. On it's, Wednesday. Oh, it broke It's hearts. the best and the worst at the same time. <laughs> oh, it broke hearts. Uh, all right, guys. Well, Emily, thank you very much for uh, joining us here tonight. We super appreciate it. Uh, is there anything you'd like uh, to tag or to, to, to plug or to uh, let people know your social um, media? Well, tag. <laughs> um, Hashtag. not right now. Well, okay. Um, I am on Twitter at um, Emmeline Grangerford, em- at Emily right now. Um, I do have um, a right that I'm going to um, hopefully sooner rather than later. But other than that, I just want to say um, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I really do love Alfred Hitchcock a lot. And um, I-, I hope that at some point you might ask me back. So thank you. Oh yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and when that writing project drops, if you have a film you want to come on and talk about, let us know, and you can. You are welcome back immediately and uh, okay, available great. to plug um, whatever you want. Thank you so much. For sure, not a problem. All right, guys. Well, my name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on Twitter at Altorn underscore Occam. You can find me on Twitch eventually again at Twitch.tv slash Altorn underscore Occam. Zach, where can we find you? Find me on Critiker at Zach Master, spelled with an X, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, where I post my short movie reviews. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Father of the Fear. You can follow me on Letterboxd, that's letter B-O-X-D slash Vaudevillian, or you can look me up by name. Uh, we will not be covering a movie next week. Uh, so sorry, Zach, I'm going to steal your thunder here for a second. We're going to... Did he just quit the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) He just left us. (laughs) Screw you guys! (laughs) This is all I do here! So next week, we will not be covering a movie, which would be uh, How Green Was My Valley. That man, John Ford again. Yep, there he is again. And uh, instead, we're going to do a year in review. We're going to try something different for next week to see how, uh, how we like it. And hopefully you guys like it as well. All 12 of you, uh, I guess 11 of you since Emily's here with us. Um, so we hope you enjoyed that, but we will be taking a break for the first week of January. And then we will be yeah, that. We will be back to our normal schedule doing our best picture winners. Yay. And real quick, I just want to point out your, your Dora the Explorer TikTok was absolutely adorable. And I loved you for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoyed was that. Was that the one. meat lasagna one? 
it was yeah. and i love the fact that all we're saying is the door explorer the meat lasagna one and that has zero context so go check out paul's tiktok <laughs> yeah please do, <laughs> do uh, it. i kind of like i don't know if anybody saw the puppy one i put up this morning, i did see the puppy I, one too i enjoyed that leanne's talking to me from the other room what hi leanne oh, that'd be probably okay i'm gonna check that out happy Emily says hi very loudly Yay. Um, <laughs> we love leanne tiktok generation speaking of trap we would like to thank him from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show, we would like to ch- thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. You can follow the show on Twitter at OscarWorstyPod and on Facebook at The Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. We need to figure out what's going on with Stitcher because our episodes have not been posting since episode five. <gasps> uh, but once we get Stitcher going again, it really helps us to be more seen in that almighty algorithm. Almighty algorithm. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend and have a damn fine day.